pray this finds you all having a wonderful day. Uh, looking forward to getting in to the Word as we look at this second miracle. And uh, as now as we're going to be looking at miracles, um, we're going to be looking at the centurion servant in Matthew chapter 8. I encourage you to grab your Bibles and flip on over there. And um, looking forward to this one because um, of what we're able to see in it. Again, I, I think that there's so many neat little intricacies that we find in Scripture that just bring it so much to life, um, so much more than just reading the story um, or seeing the healing. Um, again, I think we need to understand and see that these are real people with real situations, um, and that makes a big difference. So as we are uh, going to begin in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 5, and verse 5 reads like this. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. Now, the reason I want to stop and I want to just look at verse 5 is because, again, there's a lot of information here that I think we need to really walk through. First of all, we have to understand that this is a centurion. This would be very abnormal. Uh, when you sit down and think about the Romans... The Romans did not have a high view of the Jews. Um, the Romans did not look upon the Jews. Uh, they looked upon them more as a burden that they had to be involved with rather than anything else. Um, and so for this centurion to actually come to Jesus says uh, volumes that, uh, and, and I think... I think it allows us to be able to read in a little bit and to be able to say, apparently, this centurion must have seen something that Jesus has already done. Now, the reason why I say that is um, hearsay. Hearsay can cause you to want to go maybe investigate something. All right, let's just, let's just kind of put this scenario out there. Let's say that... This centurion has heard of Jesus performing uh, blank healing, um, whatever it may be. He's heard that this Jesus has done something that was miraculous. And so the centurion wants to go and investigate it. That would be something very likely. Um, but again, look at what happens in this passage. The centurion came to Jesus pleading. When you look at the idea of pleading, this is more of a surrender. This is more of a, um, I'm coming to you because I can't do it. I'm coming to you because you are uh, the person that I need. If, if I think about uh, I'll just use my children as an example. If I were to think about the fact that one of my children um, were sick or something of that nature, and I knew that there was someone who had a cure for my children, I would plead with them. I would basically tell them, listen, I am at your mercy. I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's, that's the idea you get from pleading. So I don't think that we can just sit down and say that this centurion just happened to be near Jesus. This is a massive deal that a Roman would lower himself. Again, we got to look at the hierarchy that's going on here. This Roman would lower himself in order to be able to 
uh, let this Jew be in control of the situation, be in charge of the situation. And so that's what we're setting the stage with. It's almost a role reversal. Normally you would have the Roman centurion who would be the one in charge, and he is coming, surrendering himself. And we're going to see that even more here in just a little bit about how he truly is surrendering himself here. But what we're finding as well is going to verse 6, he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. So again, let, let's, let's put this into context. There's two major things that I want us to see here. Number one is I think that this gives us a very good picture into the heart of this centurion. Because again, when you think about Roman soldier, you don't think about soft. When you think about Roman soldier, you think about someone who is hard, someone who you might even consider heartless, not someone who has compassion, not someone who cares for another person. But here, excuse me, here we have this Roman centurion showing compassion for his servant. He is pleading on behalf of his servant. He's interceding, if you will. And that is so vitally important. And we're going to get to this idea of interceding in just a little bit. But here's the second thing that I want to look at. Look at what the centurion calls Jesus. Almost any other situation that you look at in the gospel accounts, when you have other Jews or you have other people that are encountering Jesus, looking for a miracle, uh, looking for wisdom, teaching, whatever it may be, they will refer to Jesus as rabbi or teacher which he was a rabbi or teacher. But this Roman centurion refers to him as Lord. And th this changes the game because, again, not only is the Roman coming to the Jew, but now this Roman is looking at Jesus and referring to him as Adonai. That He's referring to him as Lord. And when we get saved, Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior. He is the ruler of our life. That's what the phrase Lord means. He is the ruler of our life. So here is a centurion who is surrendering himself to the lordship of Jesus, to the rulership of Jesus. This is mind-blowing. This is so far from what is normal. And that's why this specific passage uh, even here, and we'll get to it here a little bit later in verse 10, Jesus is amazed. I mean, this is abnormal. This is not one of those things to where it would be expected in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So we have to make sure that we understand um, that aspect of it. We have to make sure that uh, when we're looking at it, we are um, understanding that this is a significant deal for this Roman centurion to be able to look to Jesus as his Lord, not just look to him as a healer or to look to him um, as just simply a teacher, but as Lord. That changes the whole entire dynamic. And so now he's, he's pleading on behalf of his servant. He's interceding on behalf of his servant. We see here that his servant is home paralyzed. We don't have any context um, outside of that. 
We don't know if uh, this is something that has just recently happened. We don't know, uh, and I would, I would dare say that it probably is because it would be very hard for this man to be a servant to the centurion if he was born paralyzed um, because he really wouldn't be able to serve him much other than maybe with wise counsel. So there is, there is a situation there. Maybe he is serving him with counsel, but he's telling Jesus that his servant is paralyzed and he's in terrible agony. And he's interceding on behalf of his friend because he realizes his friend apparently cannot get medical help or treatment in the area where he's at, whether he is in Rome or Capernaum, wherever he may be. He's not able to get that kind of treatment, which again brings me back to the point that this Roman centurion must have some way, somehow seen Jesus do something that radically altered his life in order for him to come to Jesus, in order for him to surrender to Jesus' lordship, and in order for him to plead with Jesus, knowing, because that idea of pleading is coming from an understanding that apparently I have seen you do this before, so I'm pleading with you to do it on my behalf. And it's almost like he's coming to Jesus saying, I've seen you heal people before. I know you can do it. So I'm pleading with you to do it on behalf of my servant. That's the idea that I get here with him. And so verse 7, Jesus looks at him and says, am I to come heal him? Now, another way of looking at this is Jesus actually saying, I will come and heal him, depending on how you look at it. But that's, that's kind of the way the verbiage goes. It's, it's not really a question as it is more of a statement. Of Jesus saying, you know, hey, I will come and heal him. And maybe this is something to where uh, Jesus knew who this centurion was. And maybe there had been previous relationship. I don't know. But I think what we find here is that Jesus is showing his willingness to be able to heal this man. And we would think that the miracle would stop right now. I mean, everything that this Roman centurion could have hoped for has just taken place. This Roman centurion has come to Jesus. Jesus did not, you know, kind of cast him away because he was of he was a Roman. Yet he comes to Jesus. He pleads with Jesus on behalf of his servant, which means that in in essence there was a hope there. And Jesus doesn't even really get into any kind of discussion about it. Jesus just says, "Okay, yeah, I'll go heal him." So everything should have been perfectly fine now. And look what the centurion does. He replies to him again in verse 8, Lord. So again, he's constantly referencing Jesus with this title of Adonai, of Lord. And he says, Lord, the centurion replied, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Three things here again. Lordship. He shows his submission and surrender to Jesus' authority. He's saying, listen, healing is an authority you have. It is the only, you have the authority. You are Lord. But then look at his second statement. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now again, I don't want to continue to um, belabor the point here. But 
we've got to understand that this situation is a Roman and a centurion. And the Roman is constantly putting himself second. The Roman soldier is constantly putting himself beneath Jesus. This is mind-blowing. Um, it, it's not... It, it, it would have went against everything. It would have been taboo in every area. Culturally this and socially, this was just not right. Now, we know that it is because Jesus is Lord. But in the cultural social context, this was crazy. Can you imagine... What the Romans, and I'm sure there were some Romans around with him. Could you imagine what those Romans were thinking? Seeing this centurion who was in charge of over a hundred people that the Roman centurion was making himself beneath um, Jesus, that he was making himself um, beneath um, a Jew. It's, it's ridiculous socially and culturally. And so then we get into the next phrase. So he says, I'm not worthy for you to even come to my house. But then he, look at what he says. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. What he's saying here is, Jesus, I understand who you are. I understand your lordship. And I understand the power that you have. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to make sure that I trust you. And I'm going to trust everything that you're doing. And you don't even have to come to the house in order to be able to heal this guy. You can just say the word and it's going to be taken care of. This is unbelievable faith when you consider the majority of the miracles that takes place. In a majority of the miracles, everybody's wanting to see a sign. Everybody is wanting to make sure that they see Jesus do this and see Jesus do that. And... Almost like they're making Jesus be a puppet master. And instead, what we're seeing here is this guy looks at Jesus and he says, Listen, number one, I understand who you are and what your position is. And I am not worthy to have you even come to my house. And I know your power and I know your authority. So I'm trusting you that if you can just say that my servant will be healed, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt my servant will be healed. And I think that's what's so amazing with this. And so look down in verse 10. Jesus says, hearing this, Jesus was amazed. Oftentimes what you find is that the crowd was the one who was amazed. Very rarely. I mean, it's, it's one of those to where when Jesus does something, it would say that the crowd was amazed at what they saw or what they heard. Here we see Jesus amazed. Why? Because look what he says in verse 10. Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. One of the things I think that is so misunderstood in our Christian walk when it comes to just watching God move, just seeing God do some things, I think is us being able to see um, the, the, the magnitude of uh, faith and us being able to see what faith can actually do. I think many times what we find is we think that we've got to do this and do some kind of big action. We've got to make sure that we show this. Or Jesus is simply just looking for faith. And, and again, I know that when we went through our prayer and our faith time, you heard me say this over and over and probably tired of hearing it, but Hebrews eleven six: without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's not looking for you to do anything magnificent. He's looking for faith. 
And when Jesus would go around and he would teach and he would do miracles, he wasn't expecting people to, uh, you know, do these big, uh, uh, any kind of action. He just wanted people to believe. I mean, I go back to the the feeding of the multitude, the feeding of the 5,000, which was just the men. And um, I think what I find with that that's so mind-blowing is of the anywhere between fifteen to 25,000 that were there when they got fed, not one single person believed. Not one single person believed and was saved. And they witnessed one of the most unbelievable miracles we could ever imagine. And yet here's this centurion, and he's apparently seen Jesus do something, and it altered his life to the point to where he says, Jesus, I don't even need you to show up. I just trust your word. See, that's what this is about. This is about trusting God's word. And he's telling him, I trust your word. All you have to do is say it and it will happen. That's what we're supposed to do. We have the written word. And we're supposed to trust the word. We're supposed to be able to say, God, you just say it. And I know. Fill in the blank. But man, isn't it amazing how that we allow so many things to just interrupt all of that. We let so many things get into our lives to where we just are completely off track with so much of that. And what we find here is that this Roman centurion has told Jesus, I simply just trust you. And look what Jesus says here in verse 13. Then Jesus told the centurion, go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. Isn't that, look at the wording. He didn't say, as you have believed, let it be done for your servant. See, again, what Jesus is doing here is this man was healed because of the interceding of the Roman centurion. This man wasn't healed because this man, this paralyzed man, it does not say anywhere that this paralyzed man believed in Jesus and he sent his Roman centurion to go find Jesus so he could be healed. This Roman centurion went on this man's behalf and said, Jesus, I need you to heal him. That is how powerful intercessory prayer is. And what's sad is that's one of the key things that has been lost within the local church today. Intercessory prayer just doesn't take place. We don't intercede for other people in a believing way. What we may do is we may come to a prayer meeting and what we'll do is we'll say somebody's name and we may even pray for them, but we're just, oh Lord, you know, you know the situation. I pray you bless. We're not pleading on their behalf. We're not interceding on their behalf. What we're finding is that we've allowed prayer to be a vending machine mentality with God. We put our quarter in and we just get whatever God gives us. And we've got to get back to the understanding that it's about faith in his word. It's trusting in His Word above all else, regardless of what the circumstances around us say, regardless of all of these other things that's going on, it's trusting in His Word. So man, this miracle is just so amazing. It does so much, and uh, it's just exciting to be able to see God's Word come alive. So I pray that this has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. Most of all, I pray if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that you would understand Jesus loved you so much that he died in your place 
on the cross to pay your sin debt because you couldn't do it. And he did that simply for the fact that he loved you and he wanted a relationship with you. And what salvation is, is you understanding that you're a sinner, you repent of your sins, and you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, just like the centurion did here. And so I encourage you to do that. I also encourage you, if this has been a blessing to you, leave a review, um, write a review uh, on whatever platform you're listening so this can get out a little bit more and be a blessing to some others. Share it on whatever social media platform you have. And I pray that it's blessed you and encouraged you. Go out and share your story with somebody today. And we look forward to seeing you back next week as we continue in our study of miracles.